0: Oh, john hello anthony let's talk about side. it's a very visible presence in a lot of your writing both your football stuff and your novels uh, is that a massive inspiration for you
1: yeah absolutely um uh, it's it's a significant thing i think that a lot of writers tend to write about their place they grew up in or they were born in when they don't live there um i mean for example dh lawrence wrote about uh, nottingham when he was living in italy And James Joyce wrote about Dublin when he was living abroad as well. And uh, although I'm not as good as James Joyce or (laughs) D.H. Lawrence, um, there is something about not living at a place that you know really well that allows you to to feel it and to see it perhaps more clearly than when you actually spend all your time there. So it's always been huge for me. And um, I think in some ways not living there allows me to be romantic about the area in a way that perhaps I wouldn't be if I was at, had to put up with
0: the day-to-day realities. You can be more, more objective.
1: Uh, Yeah, maybe it's more objective. But also, I think that um, you, it allows you to see the good things as well as the bad things. And, uh, you know, that is quite an important thing when you're writing novels, particularly, because you don't want everything to be... I mean, I particularly don't want everything about side to be negative, simply because outside of side, the media always reports it as a... You would think it was a hellhole, wouldn't you, really? And you wouldn't think there was anything great about it at all. So I've always wanted to be really positive as well as kind of um, highlight the downsides of things so when I've been writing my stories. So, yeah, it's always been a huge inspiration. The people particularly, um, uh, the people I grew up with and the people that I knew for so many years and the people I run into now uh, down there are always um, fire my imagination, put it that way.
0: There's, there's a lot of the industrial imagery as well. I mean, obviously, you'll have grown up uh, when Teesside was a real industrial powerhouse with yeah. uh, the, the cooling station, uh, ICI and the steelworks looming over everything. Uh, that seems to run right the way through the imagery. It does. You know, it's funny.
1: I often say it's uh, odd how we can be romantic about pollution. But I really am, because pollution for Teesside really kind of meant money. And when the pollution went and when the, the airs got clearer, the money went as well. So, like, I grew up under the kind of, I often call them the yellow skies of 1970s Teesside, when, it, you know, your nose would sting with the smell of ammonia from ICI Billingham. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we the Teesside Side we used to call it, would come in, and that, that very distinctive tang in the air um yeah. you know, would 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 waft across every playing field. Um and I kind of look back on those with some nostalgia in some ways. But yeah, I think Teesside, the grit that makes Teasides Pearl has always been that combination of heavy industry, right pushed up alongside beautiful nature of North Yorkshire and of the Cleveland Hills. You know, that's really the grit that makes Teasides Pearl, I think. And I've always tried to bring both of those elements in. You know, even going, like I set one of my murders down at South Gar um, because I just love that with the mouth of the Tees, there is a sort of bleak majesty to that area that I absolutely love. And it's imperfect to kill somebody. <laughs> Which,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's how my mind works, you know. Yeah, that's the, that's the real contradiction about Teesside, isn't it? It's the industrial heartland and this lush green, almost secret hinterland and that that's the two sides of our coin and uh it's a hidden gem in a lot of ways and the, the last thing we want is people from outside coming in and buying second homes in skinningrove
1: <laughs> yeah i think we're quite some <laughs> I think quite some way from that at the moment but i know exactly what you mean yeah it is i mean it's like that a lot in the northeast you know you go up the northumberland coast it is the most beautiful windswept landscape and there's never even in the middle of summer there's never anyone there and um you, you kind of think god people are really missing out but then equally you think well i don't really want loads of people from chipping Norton
0: turning up you know uh, that's probably been one of the few benefits of the pandemic i think is a lot more people have discovered what's on their own doorstep And when you do your allotted one hour of exercise it's so nice to jump in the car and go to somewhere that maybe you haven't been since you were a kid.
1: Yeah, there is so many beautiful little places. Um, uh, there's, um, I, mean, I mean, in some ways it's changed a lot since when I was young in that there's nature reserves and things um, around the river, which there never used to be when I was little. You don't think, I think everything had died around the trees when I was little. But, um, but yeah, there is. There's lots of, I mean, it's a great area generally for people who are interested in i mean there's a lot of bird watching goes on in the Tees estuary and things you know so yeah there's lots to do and there's lots of things that people don't associate with the area do you, do you come home very often do you do you visit teeside um I, I, these days i haven't been home no i don't really not not in the. i used to up until about three years ago and then uh, work because uh, obviously I live up on the west coast of Scotland now, and work has kept me away from going down to see the Boran. But up until relatively recently, yes, I, and I came down to do a lot of book events as well, which I always really, really love, and it really keeps me in touch with my readership. And I really miss doing those, and obviously I haven't been able to do any for about eighteen months now. But uh, but I will do, and I always I've, i and I keep in touch a lot with a lot of old school friends as well from the area on and off. So I kind of, I always feel as if I am umbilically connected to Teesside, wherever I am in the world, you know. Um, I'll just tell you a quick story. I used to live, I uh, spent a year on the west coast of uh, California and um, I was once in a bar in Monterey and uh, I was standing at the bar and uh, this fella comes up and he goes, pint the lager, mate. And I said, I know where you're from. And he was from Billingham. And I just thought, like, here we are in Monterey in California. And uh, I'm standing right next to a guy from Billingham. So I, I feel as if you can never quite get away from Teesside, even if you wanted to. 6,000 miles, and I was still next to the guy from uh, two miles away from where I grew up, you know?
0: You find that all over the world. No matter where you go, there's a Teesside somewhere. There is. Yeah, well, uh, It's a very distinctive accent as well, isn't it? And that's, that's part and parcel of our cultural DNA, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I always... Uh, when I first started writing the novels, I, I kind of... Um, I wanted to... Because I was aware that people would be reading it who didn't really distinguish between a Teesside accent and a Geordie accent, which is obviously something which annoys, annoys all of us. But, um, but you know, you can, you can understand why from the outside. So I, I tried to describe... Uh, what uh, the classic words to say in the Teesside accent would be, and I I came up with the the phrase uh, drinking a pint of lager in Santiago uh, and eating an avocado because uh, <laughs> it's something about everything with with the, the 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 vowels in the words all get stretched out. So if you're ever eating an avocado in Santiago or drinking lager. And, and somebody says that to you, you'll know they're from Teesside. But uh, no, yeah. it is. it's very distinctive. I think what's what great about it, and from, certainly from a creative point of view, and from when you're writing um, kind of murder mystery stories like I do, is that um, uh, it's an area of the country that all, most people don't know anything about. You know, yeah. it, There's no reason really for most people to pass through Teesside you Know it, 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 it's if you're going up to Scotland, you're going past it. You know, why would you really? You know, you're not likely to drop off and see in Karoo for any reason. So, it's a kind of secret area, um, where almost anything could happen, uh, for people who are from outside the region. And I really like that. I said early on, like, Teesside doesn't exist on a map, you can't find it on a map. Um, it only exists in the hearts and minds of the people who are from there or who live there. And that's very true. You can't point to Teesside on a map, you know, but we all know where it is. But, you know, yes. but then again, the, the borders of Teesside are
0: uh, in dispute even amongst ourselves, I think, are <laughs> uh, it, It's interesting you mentioned Teesside. I mean, do I mean you, you've got quite a loyal following for your, your Nick Geimer books? Is that exclusively Teesside, or do you have people readers from outside who wonder what's going on sometimes? Is it impenetrable to people from outside? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's obviously
1: difficult to tell, but I would say about uh, 30% of all the book sales go to people. I mean, I can't tell with Kindles, but with the, the hard copy book sales, because um, they all get published through my own publisher, I get a chance every few months to see um, the uh, geography of where people are that I've ordered them from. And about 30% are from outside of the Northeast. Of course, those people could be originally from the area. The expats. Uh, the expats yeah. yeah. I sell quite a lot in Australia. And I assume that's expats and quite a lot in America as well and Canada. Um, but I have sold books pretty much everywhere in the world now. So, But as you say, Teessiders are like a kind of mycelium. We crawl all over the world, often unseen, but we're there. <laughs> we're everywhere.
0: Uh, you, you have got a loyal audience. Do you get people writing to you about the books and, and wondering about uh, maybe if, if if they've been uh, part of the inspiration or or writing to you saying they know people that you've been writing about?
1: Ah, uh, it's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I, it has happened occasionally, and um, but actually, when I've been doing book events. Um, People do come up and, and kind of ask who the inspiration for certain characters was. And uh, do uh, the central characters, um, the three central characters, which is Nick, Julie and Jeff, There they run through all, all of the novels. And I'm often asked what the inspiration for those central characters are. Well, it's, it's, it's funny, really, because those three characters are all me, um, albeit one of them being female. But, uh, and they all represent different sides of my personality really, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I based I, I, I based um, Julie's mother on somebody in Teesside that I knew. Um, I used to do a football pools round when, uh, in Stockton when I was from 16 to 18, and I used to go up Fairfield Road and around the Bishopton Court Estate and up the Avenue, and uh, it was a brilliant time, in and it was an impressionable time in life when you are 16, and it introduced me to loads of people that I wouldn't have normally met, particularly on Bishopton Court, and um, three or four of those people I met, I used to see every week. Get the coupon every week, um, and they really inspired a lot of what I write about. Uh, they've inspired several different characters, in fact, and um, uh, they've always stayed with me. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the the thing is that a lot of them are based on, as I say, in real life, or based on aspects of my personality. But other stuff is just a complete fabrication. So it's a, it's a real um, stew of uh of um of all different influences uh
0: how many are we up to 16 17 books now
1: yeah i think i think it's 16 yeah it's 16 yeah <laughs> um a teesdale death just came out uh, a couple of months ago and that's done very well i think it's the best one i've done so far um it's the most complex and layered story um, and I was really, really pleased. It took me a year to write that one. Normally, I knock them out in about three months. But because really? I was doing other football writing and other stuff, I couldn't do it so quick this time. But I will always go back to Nick. I can't, because I have so many other commitments with the football writing, I can't spend as much time on the Geimer books as I would like. But I will always go back to them because they're very satisfying to write. And it's also incredibly cheap therapy for myself. It me having to pay a therapist to discuss my upbringing and my past if I write it all in a book instead.
0: Let's talk briefly about the football writing. You were nominated last year on on the William Hill Sportsbook long list for for your book, uh, Can We Have Our Football Back? Which, it's quite a soapbox rant against the modern game, isn't it? It is. Um, I prefer the
1: rather more middle-class expression, um, (laughs) a polemic. Yeah, but a rant'll do. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's um, it's it basically came from the heart, really. It just I, I wrote it because I felt uh, a kind of nameless and hard to focus discontent with the football that I was seeing on TV, um, from the Premier League and with the whole culture of it, with the money, um, with the, what it was as a spectacle and as a sport, and I. And I knew I wasn't alone in this. You know, people, everybody I spoke to said, oh, it's not what it was. I don't like it so much these days. Everybody still watches it. But I thought, what is it that we're all so uncomfortable with? You know, it's all a bit lumpy. And, you know, and There's so many things that annoy us and feel wrong about the game. So that it was a sort of dissection of all of those feelings. And I suppose what it came down to in the end was money. It was the money. The money is spoiled football at that level. Taken it away from the being the people's game and put it behind the tinted windows of privilege, as I put it rather eloquently, I thought, in the book. Um, so, yeah, it is. It is exactly that. And it was um, long-listed for the Telegraph Sports um, Book of the Year. Uh, and my first book which t- was released 10 years previous to that, which was called uh, We Ate All the Pies. That was the one that was long-listed for the William Hill Sports Book of the Year. So I've only yes. written two football books, but both of them have made a long list of prestigious um, uh, sports awards, though obviously I've yet to get onto a short list,
0: so that'll be the Hopefully the next yeah. book That's, will do that. That first one, uh, We Ate All the Pies, I thought was excellent. There was a, uh, it's not, it's a, a cultural history, a social history around uh, football match day uh, routines almost, and there was a fantastic episode on, uh, I think it was the uh, Delia's, uh, cultural regime at norwich uh, which struck a chord with me because i've been in the norwich press box and it is quite sumptuous dining <laughs> uh, totally different to anything that most people would, would have grown up with which was uh, a wagon wheel and a bovril. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah well i was i think uh, one of the stories i recount <clears throat> in that book is um my first experience of eating a pie at middlesbrough was um, biting into it and and finding an enormous thick rubber band in the middle of it, (laughs) uh, which, uh, you know, was quite uh, added to the body of the pie, but not so much the digestibility of it. (laughs) And uh, also the pie made my throat sore. And I always thought uh, I shouldn't be eating anything that makes my throat actually feel sore at the end of it. I'm not quite sure. I think there were – I always feel as if there were New Bull's pies, but I'm not sure. I'm probably slandering the great name of New Bull's there. But uh, whatever they were, it was uh, a toxic thing <laughs> in 1970 anyway. But no, it is. Uh, that that whole book was really uh, uh, talking about why uh, football has become Britain's greatest love, really, sports, since, pretty much since it began in the 1890s, you know, 1870s. And, um, and uh, the conclusion I came to really was it isn't really about the football. It's about everything that orbits around the football, everything that football facilitates, and, um, you know, and I think actually just, and I did pick up again on that theme in um, Can We Have a Football Back? Because I felt as if that is what has been slowly eroded by them, particularly in the Premier League. Um, it, it's it, it, all of those things that we used to see as part of our community and as part of our kind of civic understanding of where football is in our life, has been rubbed away. So now it kind of feels more like a corporate leisure facility.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree completely with that. It, it used to be a collective cultural experience, and now it's a consumer yeah. exercise. It's a, a,
1: totally. It's consumer culture has replaced community culture. And uh, a, a, it's, it's very difficult to, for, to tell this to people who are perhaps even under the age of 35, because all they've really known is this kind of uh, razzmatazz of the Premier League and all the big money and all the marketing, which I prefer to call propaganda. And, um, you know, so they don't know what it was like before that. Don't know what it was like before we had advertising on shirts. I mean, you'll remember this, but in the early 80s, when it started to become more commonplace to have sponsors on shirts, a lot of people really objected to that, didn't they? They really felt as if it defiled the shirt. To have advertising on like, to walk around like an advertising hoarding, and uh, you know, it was a matter of contention. But the symbol of how consumer culture has become so dominant now is that nobody ever questions every square inch of a shirt is now sold off to a sponsor. There are even sleeve sponsors now, and, um, and short sure. training short training shirt ones as well. Everything is sold off and nobody questions it anymore, which really just shows you how dominant consumer culture has become. And, um, you know, and that wasn't, that once was not the case, you know, and uh, we don't have, it doesn't have to be the way it is now. Um, And the only people I feel, and the the central contention of the book, the only people I feel who have benefited from this change has been the players in terms of getting gargantuan wages, managers, and club executives too but the fan hasn't benefited at all from it. It's still the same game to us, but it's just played by people who are remunerated in a way which is obscene. And, um, I mean, I have a really big thing about that. You know, I really do feel as if we have been kind of... People don't say that they're morally offended by the amount of money that's paid to footballers, but it's almost as if we're not supposed to be morally offended by wealth anymore. Well, I am. I'm not about having... Uh, plenty of money, but by having an obscenely too much to spend in your life amount of money, and I think when some of them, so many people have so little, it's just wrong that so many people have an excess, um, and uh, football is very much part of the culture which promulgates that. So, yeah, that see, I'm getting on my eye horse again now. <laughs> I'm getting annoyed. <laughs>
0: Uh, that seems like a good place to to finish for now, and we'll pick that up another time, John. Uh, thanks for speaking to us, and uh, good luck with all your future writing projects, and we'll be in touch. Cheers, mate. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Talking Teaside podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, subscribe and leave us a review. For more of our content, head over to thetees.online, or to catch up on the latest from us, you can follow us over on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, at the tees online thanks again and until next time bye